If you've been looking ahead in your calendar, you realize that Christmas comes on a Monday this year, and that'll make the church season of Advent seem shorter than it usually does. It's one of those odd years when the fourth Sunday of Advent falls on Christmas Eve, the same day. Now, no doubt that'll please some of you. After all, every year we hear a steady stream of choruses asking why we can't sing the Christmas carols and hymns during the run-up to Christmas Eve, for goodness sake. It's as if the church calendar, the liturgical calendar, is out of sync with the calendar everybody else uses. And that may be a good thing. And then there are the biblical texts for the season. Indeed, on this first Sunday of Advent, one commentator reminds us the church is called to long for God's redeeming presence to the sorrow that is not sentiment, but to repentance and to expectation. Both Isaiah and the psalmist lead in a lament by the believing community and a prayer for God to come with saving power. In our passage from Mark 13, we hear the description of how it will be when Christ comes to perform God's final work of judgment and redemption and calls us to be ready. So hear now the word of God from Mark 13. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, from the fig tree learn from its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he might find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The sun is long set, the day is done. 
You're in bed waiting for sleep to come, but something is keeping you up. Maybe it's a a problem at home or a worry over an upcoming exam or reeling from medical bills or a diagnosis or worried sick about a child or simply the weariness of the world. There's no question that our world is weary. The ongoing social, political, and economic polarization of the country is an increasingly heavy burden. The horrifying violence between Palestinians and Israelis continues in the very land where our attention is particularly drawn in this season of Advent. Or even in this holiday season, the already high levels of stress so many of our lives usually gets kicked up to a new level in this holiday time, whether stress with families or work or from loneliness or because of grief and loss. And before long, our our thoughts have unraveled into a maelstrom of worry. An hour passes or maybe two hours, three Now it's 2 a.m., and you're tossing and turning. What keeps you up at night? Well, these days, what doesn't? I'll tell you what doesn't keep me up at night. Waiting for Jesus to come back. I, I know, I know. The text tells me to keep on edge, but keep awake. The gospel says, for we don't when the master of the house will come in the evening or midnight or cockcrow. Whenever I run across this passage, I, I think of, of Ruth. Ruth was one of the very few retirees in my first congregation. She'd been raised in a, a, a church tradition that placed an inordinate focus on being prepared for Jesus' return. Ruth was worried about being left behind a dozen or more years before those books ever came out. And so whenever there was an earthquake in California or a uh, hurricane ripping its way through Florida, I knew a phone call would come, and come it would. And Ruth would say, Pastor, is this the end? Well, Ruth, if it is, I think we're both in trouble. And then I would remind her that the gospel tells us we won't know. We don't know the timetable. Advent is a season of preparation and repentance, but one of mostly hope. It looks back and it looks forward while living in the present. The season was not always closely linked to Christmas. In the fourth century, Advent had its roots as a, a period of 40 days of praying and fasting and preparation for the baptism of new Christians at the Feast of the Epiphany. In the early church, in the years before the fourth century, the period of catechesis for new believers took place only during Lent, and baptisms were held only at Easter. And so when they needed more time, Advent took on the character of a little Lent. Fasting preceded feasting, and there was both theological reasons and the church's deep wisdom to guide us in it. As a season of reflection and repentance, Advent reminds us that we, we, we don't just walk into the throne room of the King. 
Advent invites us to quiet our hearts, prepare our hearts, be honest about who we are as we make space for the incarnate one. Advent also offers the church's deep wisdom to our culture as well. Westminster is so incredibly fortunate to have Kate Bowler coming to lead the women's retreat in February. Please, please, please sign up and make that a priority. Kate is a professor at Duke Divinity School and is a New York Times bestselling author and a podcaster who writes and teaches about the American problem of toxic positivity. The pressure to only display positive emotions, suppressing any negative emotions, feelings, or reactions, or experiences. And during December especially, we can run from celebration to celebration and encounter what one commentator calls the jollification of Christmas that borders on the compulsive where there's no space for reflection or addressing our pain or honesty. Advent can become an antidote to all of that. One of the reasons we hold this evening service for hope and healing is to acknowledge through liturgy and prayer and presence just how challenging this time of year is to those who know pain and loss. Advent helps us consider that in a spiritual sense, we are living in exile in the world like modern-day refugees. Much like the Old Testament nation of Israel and Egypt waited for his Savior to take them out of physical slavery. And that's why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of Man appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. I I, I think in many ways the ancient church did a better job of being emotionally fully orbed and the liturgical calendar reflects it. The, The start of the Christian calendar and this is the first Sunday of the new church year invites us to step into this season through a courageous fresh look at the way of God in Christ Jesus through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit enters our lives. The great 20th century theologian Karl Barth once wrote, What other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? Inextricably, we we live between times. Christ has come and crucified, has died and risen. In the words of the great communion liturgy, Christ will come again. And Advent asks us to consider what it means to wait wisely and well. Because, you know, there are different kinds of waiting in there. There's one kind of waiting that we experience when we have to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. It's not fun waiting. But there's also the kind of waiting that's known as anticipatory waiting. That's what we see in that Christmas movie, Love Actually. All the scenes of people waiting for and welcoming loved ones at the airport. I love that scene. Because it reminds us the, the joy and expectation of waiting for someone whom we love to come. Advent reminds us 
that as we wait for Christmas, what the character of the one coming is worth the wait. And what we're waiting for is also worth the wait. We wait expectantly with anticipation. What's confusing is we speak of Advent in three tenses. The past, the present, and the future. The past, Christ has come. The incarnation happened. We celebrate the babe of Bethlehem and remember his nativity. And we look for the remembrance of that as we come up to Christmas. But then there's also the present, seeing how we need Jesus to come by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and hope, justice and peace, reconciliation and redemption into the world and into our lives right now. Well, I agree very much with the practice of delaying Christmas carols and worship until, you know, Christmas actually arrives. I love hearing them out in the malls and in the megastores. Some lines in particular tempt me to almost stop in my tracks when surrounded by bustling crowds I hear the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I want to pause to try to imagine the ways in which the coming Christ speaks to the deepest yearnings of the people that I'm waiting in line at a checkout. You know? How is God going to make life better for them? Or this line, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Wow. Every experience represented right there in target of the brokenness of our fallen world is something that the babe of Bethlehem came to redeem. The hymn book gives us some of our best theology and understanding what Christ's first and second advent means for our present as we seek to be faithful in the living of these days. Past, present, and future tense as we see in our passage from Mark's Gospel. Deeper Christian thinkers recognize that Advent calls us beyond simply preparing for the birth of Christ. Advent challenges us again and again for the final coming of Christ in glory. Charles Wesley in his poetic hymnic genius caught the essence well as we'll sing at the end of the service. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Once for our salvation slain, thousands, thousands, saints attending. Swell the triumph of his reign. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ the Lord returns to reign. What keeps us up at night? but waiting for God to tear open the heavens and come down. What keeps us up but longing to come face to face with this God who might be revealed to us at any time? What keeps us up but hearts aching to know God and to be fully known by God? What keeps us up but our tossing and turning with the burning curiosity to know even our enemies and to be fully known by them? You who draw your breath in pain and hope, what keeps you up at night? Isn't it the love of God within you, the longing to find its fulfillment on the day of the Lord? When Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet and find our rest in him. 
As one commentator observes, sure, Jesus speaks of end times in Mark 13. He alludes to a definitive end of the age in which the very stars will be shaken from the sky as the Son of Man returns upon the clouds. Jesus says that at this cosmic ending is a present generation reality, something imminent. But in the same breath, Jesus keeps things vague, speaking of in those days and after the suffering without expanding on either phrase. Moreover, he warns us not to presume to know the day or the hour when these things will take place. He opens the door to the possibility that the end might just as easily be far off in the future. We misread Jesus' intentions when we treat his words as a code to be cracked. There's no hidden Google Calendar invitation lurking in Mark 13 that schedules the end of the world for us as if it was just another work meeting or a doctor's appointment or an after-school activity. Rather, Jesus speaks of the end things, capital E, capital T, as a way of contextualizing all the other things in life that seem like endings. The audience of Mark's gospel writer, or readers would be the generation that witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem's temple, which would very much have felt like the end of the world. Jesus' followers across generations have continued to experience endings that are not yet the end, capital T, capital E. For them and for us, Jesus' words are a, a discourse on hope. All the endings that we experience in this life are bound up and vindicated by God's decisive and final sovereignty over all powers and principalities, all risings and fallings of empires, all agents of terror and chaos, all boundaries of time itself. God's final word will be a word of re resurrection, not of destruction. Beyond all other endings that we experience in history, God promises a stunning bonus scene, a, a final celestial chord. We perceive and persevere through this world's beginnings and endings because we have faith that God's final ending will be a decisive victory for all that is good and beautiful and true. Advent, then, is the church's countercultural gift amidst a culture of toxic positivity and consumerism. The point of Advent isn't Advent, but to make space to open our hearts for Jesus. Advent is a tool guiding us how to live in hope and teaching us to love the object of our hope. It looks at the past and to the future, but calls us to be invested in the present. Indeed, a number of years ago, the wonderful religion writer for the Tennessean, Ray Waddle, gives us a vision of what that living in the present might look like. He writes, Beneath it all is this other something, a vast, unnameable connection. It never quite goes away. It doesn't retreat when the brutal darkness of these days tries to get the upper hand. Brutality can't win in the end because it's too self-important and miserable to sustain itself or to help others flourish. So there's a choice to get on with a little peacemaking 
or not. Stand for the decent thing or not. Enjoy December stillness or not. De-escalate or not. The universe awaits wrapping everything in finitude and music and occasional shouts of joy trying to get our attention. May it be so for all of us this Advent as we wait and watch with hope. Amen.